podcast with me your host crystal where i talk about anything and all horror so on this podcast i give you my honest and horrific opinion on a different horror movie every week i drop spoilers i never lie i always keep it real sometimes i do specials and sometimes i have co-hosts so to keep up with all things horror and the horror nights in podcast please join my twitter horror family by following me at horror daddies are us and also join my instagram horror family by following me at horror nights in um we have a lot of fun over there i love interacting and chatting with you guys so definitely come hang um so also be sure to follow and subscribe like and comment my podcast on whatever app you use i'm available for your listening pleasures on soundcloud and itunes So on this episode of Horror Nights In, uh, we're going to be discussing some new horror. We're also going to be talking about um, my Patreon a little bit. And of course, we're going to do everybody's favorite, the Chit Chat with Crystal. So um, my cat is also here too. So if you hear anything in the background, you aren't going crazy. It's just my cat. So... This week, they released uh, the new Chucky image. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen it circulating around Twitter and on social media. Um, So yeah, I am excited about the movie coming out. I don't think I'm going to see it opening weekend just because I haven't had the best experience of seeing horror movies on opening weekend because the theaters are pretty packed and there's a lot of noise. So I might wait a little before I go see... Um, this one in theaters. Um, so I do have a Patreon, guys. You can go to patreon.com slash Horror Nights In or just go to patreon.com and look up Horror Nights In Podcast. You'll be able to find it. There are a couple episodes on there for your listening pleasure. So definitely go check that out. Um, it's not super expensive to join. Um, so if you guys want to hear more episodes, uh, definitely go over there. There's some commentary tracks too. Uh, so another thing that I have been kind of toying with is the idea of doing Horror Nights in in Real Life where I cover true crime. Um, so I've had a few people DM me and tweet me and say that they really want me to do it. So those episodes are definitely coming soon. I'm trying not to overwhelm myself too much with the podcast podcast just because as you guys know if you listen to my other pod my other shows um or my other episodes I guess I should say um I do have a full-time job and I also work another job and I'm in a full-time relationship um so the time definitely can get away from you when you are having fun (laughs) so uh definitely stay tuned for those uh I'll probably do like a twitter poll on uh the true crime that you guys want to hear um just because I like when you guys interact with me and kind of pick the movies or the themes or the things I talk about um, because it makes me feel like I'm you guys are like more part of my show Um, even though I know you are because you listen but I'm just just saying in general um, to those of you out there who do listen to my episodes thank you so much Um, 
So I don't really think there's too much other business to talk about. Uh, this week, I had a pretty good week. Um, it's been a lot warmer in Pennsylvania, um, where I currently reside, which is uh, around the Philadelphia area. Um, this weekend is Easter, so happy Easter to all my listeners who celebrate. Um, and good luck if you have to interact with your family this weekend. I personally am pretty lucky. Um, my significant other's family is very nice and very welcoming, and my family is also some of my favorite people in this whole world. So I'm, I'm very lucky and very grateful and thankful for, um, having, you know, my family and his family so that we can spend time with them. Um, so happy Easter if you just celebrate and, and then, or just a regular happy Sunday. Um, if you don't, um, because everybody, you know, Everybody's great in their own way. Um, But there are some times in your life when you don't always have to be so nice, which brings us right into the segment of my show, which I enjoy a lot, which is my chit chat with Crystal. So if you don't know what these are, basically I like to kind of talk about some things that have been going on in my life lately and some, you know, things that I've read or, you know, maybe something that I've found insight on or something that maybe I talked about previously. Um, And... I kind of just like to talk about life uh, before I get into um, the actual podcast, (laughs) which is horror movies, yes. Um, So this week, I kind of want to talk about um, basically stop being nice. And I know you're probably like, well, Crystal, what do you mean by that? Like, I'm nice to people. I like being nice to people. Um, Basically, what I'm saying is be nice to the people who deserve it and stop being nice to the people that don't deserve it. So, for example, I am the kind of person who likes to put people before her, especially her friends. Um, You know, I always try to make sure that everybody in my life is pleased with me and that everybody not so, yeah, I guess likes me. Um, But I kind of bend over backwards because it, it does make me feel good helping others. But at the same time, it's also a hindrance because if you start to get to the point in your life, whether you have in your relationship or a friendship or a family member or, you know, whoever it is in your life that you are being overly nice to them and they kind of start taking you for granted. And that's happened to me recently. I had a friend of mine for a very, very long time. Um, and for the first, I want to say 90% of our friendship we were very on. The, we were always on the same level. It was always the same give, the same take. We were very 50-50 in the in the friendship, um, and within the past few years, couple years, um, it's more. It's gotten to like ninety ten. So I feel like I was bending over backwards to try to accommodate her life and the things that were going on in her life, and I was, I was available like that. As soon as she called me, I picked up the phone within within two seconds. I didn't even let it ring all the way before I picked it up. Anytime that she would text me, I would text her back two seconds later. I would, and over time, it felt like that was kind of being taken for granted. You know, I felt like I was always the one who was accommodating her or accommodating, you know, anybody else in my life. And I think people kind of just expected me to always be there, which is good. You know, it's I always like when people rely on me. But 
when people start to take advantage of me is when it starts to kind of piss me off. And in a way, I feel like a little embarrassed about it because I'm like, oh, well, I feel like I'm like texting these people and, you know, being like, oh my God, where are you? I miss you. Like what's going on in your life? And all of a sudden it's like, they, they're just like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm so busy. And it's like, you're too busy to send me a two second text message. And like I said, guys, this can relate to any part of your life. For me specifically, it is, is it is friendship, but this can be your relationship. This can be, um, with your coworkers. This can be with, you know, your family members, anything. Um, so it gets to the point where you feel like you're always being taken advantage of and you just need to stop being so nice. Stop being nice to the people that are treating you like shit and treating you the way that you sh- that that's not fair. You know, if there's somebody in your life right now that you feel is not really it's it's you know, everything is a two-way street and everybody can make an effort to make somebody else's life easier or make somebody else's life harder. So just keep that in mind if you're dealing with someone who you feel doesn't really care about you, doesn't really care if they don't talk to you all the time, is okay with not talking to you for like two, three weeks at a time or, you know, not seeing you as much. Um, just, you know, stop being nice to people because uh, those kinds of people be nice to strangers, but stop being nice to the people in your life that don't deserve it because it's not going to help you grow. And in the end, you're going to feel like you almost like you, you don't regret it, but you're going to feel some type of way and you're going to, you know, you're going to be kind of resentful towards that person. When in reality, all you have to do is just stop being nice to them. If they want you in their life, they'll come find you. They will text you. They will call you. Um, so yeah, I think that's it for the chit chat with Crystal portion of the show. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy these just so that you guys get to know me a little bit better. So we're going to jump into the horror section of this podcast. So on this episode of Horror Nights In, we are going to be discussing House on a Haunted Hill. So I'm going to start by giving you the Rotten Tomatoes IMDb rating a short synopsis, and then a lengthy dissection and discussion of the plot, characters, and ending with my overall honest and horrific opinion. So definitely stick around until the end. So as you guys know, it is still April, which means we are doing haunted houses. Um, And I feel like I'm like getting all of my um, titles like tongue-tied because everything has like house. Like I had the haunting and now I have house on haunted hill. Um... So it just kind of, and I mean, last week I had, I'm trying to remember what I had last week because I suck and I don't remember anything anymore. Um, oh, and then last week I had a hell house. So, I mean, obviously it all goes with the theme. So, um, the last movie I'm doing for our next Saturday is the last week of April. So it's the last movie that doesn't have house in the name. Um, so at least I can kind of differentiate a little bit, but Anyway, um, okay, so uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave House on Haunted Hill a 28... Oh, and this is the 1999 version, guys, not the original. Um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 28% with 42% of the audience liking it, and IMDb gave it a 5.6 out of 10. So House on Haunted Hill was released October 29th, 1999, with a running time of 96 minutes. It was directed by William Malone and was written by Rob White and Dick Beebe. Malone was, uh, he also directed one of the first disturbing horror films I have ever seen, which is Fear.com. Um, 
I think I watched the movie when I was like 11 or 12 and it just scared the shit out of me. And if you've never seen this movie, definitely go check it out. Um, I definitely will be revisiting that movie for a podcast in the future. So stay tuned for that. So, short synopsis of the film. An amusement park mogul offers a group of diverse people $1 million to spend the night in a haunted house with a horrifying past. Um, So, this film is actually a remake of William Castle's 1958 classic. So, I have seen this movie in the past, but it's been some time since then. So, I was excited to add this to my April special. Uh, I remember... Uh, Ali Larder being in this movie too. Um, and I don't know if this happens to you guys, but it, it happens to me all the time. Do you ever watch a bunch of movies over time and realize the same actors are in like all of them? So Ali Larder is this for me. So she was in Final Destination 1 and 2. She was in Obsessed. Uh, she was in Legally Blonde. She was in the Resident Evil movies and the classic movie Crazy with Melissa Joan Hart. <laughs> um, so I guess I am a fan of hers because she's in pretty much all of my favorite films that I've watched many times over and over again. Um, so I... It's just funny when you watch a film, when you watch multiple different films and you're like, oh, she was in this movie I literally just watched. And you're like, well, I guess, I guess if I were ever to be an actor, I would want to be her because she's in all the cool movies that I like. Um, There's also another one of the actors that pops up in a lot of my favorite movies. Um, Pardon me if I, if I pronounce her name wrong. I think it's Famke Jansen. Um, She was in The Faculty, the X-Men movies, Taken, and Goldeneye. So I love her, too. Um, She kind of reminds me of Catherine Zeta-Jones a little bit. Um, But I I love the entire cast, honestly. Um, We have Tay Diggs, who is in Chicago and Empire. Uh, He plays Eddie. Uh, Then we have Peter Gallagher, who was was in the OC uh, and American Beauty, which are also the OC I love. Um, And American Beauty is probably my favorite film of all time um, before all that shit happened with Kevin Spacey. But whatever, I don't get into that shit on my podcast. Um, Peter Gallagher, um, he plays um, Blackburn uh, in this movie. And, of course, we have Chris Kattan, um, who is <laughs> – he was in um, A Night at the Roxbury, Corky Romano, which are, you know, one of my – also my favorite movies. Um, there are a few other actors I love in this movie as well. So, overall, yes, I love the cast. I recognize pretty much every single person who was in this movie. Um, even the cameraman in the beginning of the movie. Uh, he was in Buffy the Vampire uh, Slayer. He played Spike. Um, so, I really feel like every single person that came onto, onto the screen, I was like, oh, I know who that is. Oh, I know who that is. Um, and, of course, you know, we have... Um, I'll get to the rest of the cast in a minute. So, um, our movie begins, and we're immediately introduced to creepy music and eerie scream. Um, dolls and creepy x-rays of the human anatomy. Um, so, basically, we're just getting, like, the the introduction um, with the actors, directors, etc. So, we get into our first scene, and it's of the house, and it appears to be somewhere near a body of water. Uh, we are now inside, and we're following, um, I believe, as a security guard. Um, into his office. Um, 
So this must be when the house was in its insane asylum. Uh, so now we follow the security guard around his office as he's like punching in. He's turning some jams on and he's sharpening his pencil um, pencils. Uh, so we also continue to hear like distant screaming. Uh, we are now with a doctor and two nurses who are operating on a patient who clearly is under distress. Uh, so one nurse is recording and the other is assisting the doctor. Uh, we then see the doctor is cutting into the stomach of this patient who we assume is under no anesthesia um, because he's, he's very uncomfortable, very much awake and screaming. Um, we then hear laughing and thudding, and it looks as if the patients are wandering around the asylum. Um, so we are now back with the with the security guard in his office as he continues to work. Uh, we then see that there are patients in front of him, and he kind of just like uh, shrugs it off. But then we see that there are patients now behind him, um, kind of looking at him through the glass door. Then we see the patients are breaking in to the office and they attack him. Uh, we see one of the patients grab the newly sharpened pencils and stab the guard right into the side of his neck. Uh, another one then throws a heavy object into the control panel and the alarm starts going off. Uh, we then see the escaped patients are now in the operating room and they're attacking the doctor and the two nurses. We also see that the doctor has hit some kind of switch um, that puts the hospital into a lockdown mode. Um, we then see one of the patients is drowning one of the nurses and another patient has bashed in the other nurse's head. Um, then the patient grabs the knocked over camera that has fallen and starts recording as the patients now begin operating on the doctor. Um, so the, uh, we then see the patients have cut open the chest of the doctor and start pulling out his insides. <laughs> um, we then find out that this event happened October 11th, 1931, um, in Los Angeles. We also find out that it was at the Vanicut Psychiatric Institute for the Criminally Insane and was considered the best of its kind. So I'm getting very House of a Thousand Corpses vibes from this movie with this introduction. Uh, we also learned that there was a fire at the hospital as well. Um, so we get the, I also really enjoyed the commentary, uh, from the announcer in this portion of the movie. He's basically saying like he calls the hospital a sanitarium of slaughter. <laughs> like he has that kind of voice. <laughs> we also learn, um, that the head surgeon's name was Richard Benjamin Vanicott, who is honestly one of my favorite characters of all time. So a little spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so I also, um, was wondering what the correct definition for criminally insane was. And I, I was just wondering, like, what the what's the difference between insane and, like, criminally insane? And I found out that criminally insane actually is when someone commits a crime and is um, basically justified, not justified, but is just basically said, like, you're insane. This is why the crime was committed. Like, they pleaded insanity. Um and then they were just thrown into a mental institution for the rest of their lives. So it seems like every patient in this uh, insane asylum um, did something horrific that landed them there. So it's not just the regularly insane. It's the criminally insane. Um, we then see that someone is watching a crime documentary on the doctor. It kind of just like pans out. And we also learn that the institute has... 
since been restored, but no one has lived in it since. So it was restored as a house, um, at least on the upper levels. Uh, we then see Evelyn, uh, or we then meet Evelyn, who seems to be very well off in her marble bathtub. Um, we then see she's making a phone call to Stephen Price, who looks uh, to be at an amusement park and is being interviewed. Uh, we then find out that these two are married, and he's actually uh, an architect who builds amusement parks and he's built a new roller coaster. He also obviously owns a park and there was some speculation that the reason there was a delay in the park's opening was because someone almost died on one of the rides. Um, Price then goes on and on about how safe his park is and how no one has ever died. So Price is actually played by Jeffrey Rush, who I also really love, who has been in a ton of movies over the years. Um, he was in Finding Nemo, uh, Shakespeare in Love, The King's Speech, um, and obviously he's in this movie as well. Um, let's see if he's, oh, he was in Les Mis, um, he was in, apparently Finding Nemo was the highest. Oh, he was in, obviously he was, this is how I remember, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean. He was Captain Barbosa. Um, that is how I remember him, and of course from this movie. Uh, so anyways, um, he plays Stephen Price in this movie, and also loves the way that he, um, he kind of talked like, um, very old-timey, very, like, 40s and 50s. Like, he was very, like, ah, let's put on the show for the people. <laughs> not very good at the voice. But if you guys have seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Evelyn also has her own little witty way of saying things. She's very snarky. She's very, like, oh, I hate everything around me and all you people bore me kind of um, vibe going on. So I, I enjoyed watching those two interact, which is – they honestly could have had a movie of their own. But I'm going to get more into that at the end of this podcast. Um, so it seems the reporter, the cameraman, and, and Price have to ride in a utility elevator to get to the top of the new roller coaster. We then see uh, the elevator then starts to make some weird noises on its descent, and Price is hitting the alarm button but isn't working. Uh, seconds later, the elevator is just free-falling, and it seems everyone inside is going to die. But right before it smashes into the ground, we see a TV is under their feet that says, You survived! Thanks for writing! <laughs> um, so obviously he was tricking the reporter, and because she basically was kind of snarky too. She was like, well... How is this roller coaster different than anybody else's roller coaster? Like, what makes yours different? Um, and then he put her on the utility elevator from hell. Um, so Price then looks over, raises his eyebrows, and says, From here, it gets really scary. So I'm going to try and do my best to do their voices because I really think that that Price and Evelyn, like the way they say things, oh my gosh. And even Chris Kattan in this movie, they just do such a great job. Um, okay. So moving on. Um, so now we get the point of view of the roller coaster from the, uh, reporter and the cameraman who are, um, in the front of the roller coaster and are riding it. Um, we then see that Price is talking to Evelyn about pretty much nothing. Um, they basically, they, they hate each other. <laughs> um, 
And then we kind of like switch scenes on and off and we get the point of view of the coaster. We then get a final destination three moment and the rails of the the roller coaster break, but it's all like a trick of the eye. Um, and the roller coaster is actually fine. So it looks like the railroads er, railroads. <laughs> it looks like the roller coaster rails break. Um, but it's all just an illusion. Um, we then find out that Evelyn wants her birthday party at the haunted uh, Hill House, which is me if I ever could have a birthday party. at a, uh, If I ever were to plan my own birthday party, it would be at a haunted house for sure. Um, and she left the guest list on his desk. Um, we then see Price has shredded the list, and we then hear the iconic strumming of Marilyn Manson's Sweet Dreams cover start playing, which honestly is one of my favorite covers of all time. Um, I still listen to it when I work out. Um, it's just so eerie and haunting. And if you guys have not listened to Marilyn Manson's cover of Sweet Dreams, go listen to pause this podcast, go listen to it, and come right back because it's it really feels like it's the essence of this movie. Like, I like the song could play on loop through the whole movie and it'd be like an entire music video. Um, so Price is now at his computer and he's typing up a new guest list. And it looks like it's just some of like probably his employees um, that he likes. Um, we then see him leave. Um, he logs out of the computer and we see him leave his office. And then we see an unknown source actually delete his list, his list, and they make a new one. Um, so this is when we start to, to meet our beautiful cast. We also learn that each one of them was invited to spend the night at the haunted asylum, and whoever survives wins $1 million. I'm sorry, guys. My computer is not on silent, and I just got an email. Okay. Okay. Um, so yes, they will be able to win a million bucks if they make it through the night. Uh, we then meet the owner of the house. Um, his name is Juan... Uh, Watson Prickett. Okay, can I make that sound any worse? Um, So, yes. Uh, And it seems like in this movie, they kind of all talk to each other um, with their last names. So, that's how I will be referring to them. I think the only person that doesn't are the women. But all the men, um, they are are talked to uh, with their last names. So, yes, we meet the owner. Um, and we also learned that the guests have no idea who Price is, and uh, apparently neither does uh, Perkett. Um, the house then illuminates in the background as the group starts walking towards it. So we can also get the sense that Perkett is very, very uncomfortable, and he wants to get the group in and uh, leave as soon as possible. Because um, obviously he knows about the house since he is now the owner. Uh, We then enter the house and we get our first view of the remodeled inside. So the interior of the home is large and spooky, but it matches the decor of of Price's office, um, which would make sense. Uh, We then notice that Prickett is kind of on edge and he wants to get out of there as soon as possible, which I mentioned earlier. We then get a little character development on Melissa, uh, who is one of the guests who has a video camera. We learn that she had her own TV show and is now looking for another way into show business. So she thinks that if she goes into this weird spooky house and finds something crazy and records it, um, that she'll be able to get her own TV show again. Um, So we then get a little foreshadowing when Eddie says they're all going to be hacked up into little pieces. 
Evelyn then enters with a gust of wind and looks around to her party and says, who the fuck are all of you? Um, And as she says this, the stained glass section of the ceiling falls down and almost impales her, but Eddie then jumps to her rescue. Then we get the dramatic entrance of Mr. Stephen Price himself as he welcomes them all and tells Evelyn that maybe the house wants her to die first. Uh, We then get a little background on the house from Prickett, who says his grandfather built the house, and we also learn that his father was actually killed at the house during a construction accident. So as I mentioned earlier, there's funny interaction between the between the prices, um, and all Prickett wants to do is just get paid. Um, we then see that Price actually has the whole house bugged with mics and cameras. So he kind of disappears and says that he's going to go pee. Um, and we find out that he is actually uh, has like a, a tech guy, <laughs> um, a very amateur tech guy kind of controlling everything behind the scenes. Um We also see that Price and his wife have gone into what I assume is their room, and Evelyn starts asking where her guests are. Price obviously explains to her that he shredded her list and made his own, but as we saw in the other scene, that list was changed too. Um, So another thing, too, to keep in mind during this whole movie is that Evelyn and Price have tried to like kill each other over the years of them being married. Um, so we also learn, like I said, that Evelyn has tried to kill her husband many times, um, and has failed. Um, there's also this joke that Evelyn likes to, not even a joke. She's like, she's very demeaning. She's basically thinks that price is gay and is using her as a cover. And we also know that, uh, Evelyn loves, uh, prices money. So basically the only reason they're married is because she's his cover. Um, so the world doesn't know that he's gay and she stays married to him because she likes his money. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, goals there. Just kidding. Um, so price is now down with his guests as Evelyn is taking a shower. Uh, he shows them each the million dollar checks and tells them that once the sun breaks, the money is theirs as long as they all stay in the house and they all survive. Uh, he also explains that if they die, their check gets divided among the survivors. He also says that anyone is free to leave at any time they please. Uh, Prickett then goes, okay, I want to walk now. And his big is just like, come on, like price, like give me my money, uh, like, um, like sign the check. So I assume they had some like prior arrangement. Um, price then asks the rest of the, he turns to the rest of the group and he says, who are all of you? Um, so then we meet Donald Blackburn, who is the doctor, Melissa Marr, who calls herself a celebrity, which is the one I explained earlier with a video camera. Um, Eddie Baker, who is a former baseball player. And of course, Jennifer Jensen, who is executive VP for a company. Um, but if I remember correctly, Jennifer is lying. Uh, Price then tells them he has no idea who any of them all are, and he figures the house will eventually tell them. So Prickett then gets even more impatient. He starts yelling at Price for his money. But before he can leave, we hear machine. The whole house kind of just starts making noises, and um, machines are moving and thudding. We then see that the doors and the windows are all starting to be covered by metal slabs, just as they were in the beginning of the film. 
Uh, we then hear glass breaking and Prickett is trying to get out, but he can't. He explains to the group that the asylum is now in lockdown. We also learn that this is how everybody died in the fire in 1931 because Dr. Vanicut threw the switch, sealing them all inside. Prickett then tells them all uh, only five of his staff survived. So definitely keep that in mind. Uh, we also get the chilling line from him. The house is alive and we're all going to die. Um, from Prickett, who also explains that the house actually killed his father and it was not a construction accident. Um, and as in every horror movie, these cell phones don't work and there's no uh, phones in the house. Uh, Prickett then tells the group a cleaning crew will be there 9.30 a.m. the next morning, but tells them they will all probably be mutilated beyond recognition by then. So Jennifer then concludes all a sick joke and is backed up by Evelyn, who now has rejoined them. So they all look at Price for some kind of explanation. Everyone assumes it's him because he loves making thrills and chills for the kitties, according to Evelyn. Uh, Price continues... To let me turn my page <laughs> to insist he had nothing to do with sealing the house up. Uh, Jennifer then recognizes Price as the Price who builds amusement parks. Eddie then suggests that they look um, for some kind of main control board, but apparently it's in the basement. Of course, in the basement. Why wouldn't it be in the basement? <laughs> Prickett then tells them that they don't want to go down there. Uh, but Eddie says he and Jennifer will go down together. But before they can go down, Evelyn warns them to beware of the traps that Price has set up for them to scare them. We also learn that Price has done this before, back in 1994, with the son of Sam Hunt. Uh, the camera then pans to a coffin, and inside the coffin are five little baby coffins that each have guns inside. Evelyn is still suspicious of her husband as he um, scurries off. Um, he then says that he's going to go pee. Um, the next scene is a little bit of a jump scene. So Jennifer, Eddie, and Prickett have now gone into the dark and cobwebby basement because, of course, it's dark and it's gross and it's dingy. Uh, Prickett then finds the light switch, and we are greeted by uh, Price's decorations. Um, and by that, I mean, it's like skeletons and shit, like in like glass casings. Um, the three continue to wander into the spooky basement with its flickering lights, old wheelchairs and old gurneys. Um, we then have a part of the ceiling almost fall on Jennifer, but of course, Eddie jumps in and rescues her again. So in the next scene, we are back with the cameras and we see that Eddie has joined the guy monitoring them, as I mentioned earlier. So we also learn that the guy is that this guy is the one who's operating all the pranks and tricks in the house, but he didn't have anything to do with the lock-in. Uh, Price thinks that his wife did it. I assume when he says, when he says, no, she did it. So now we are back in the basement and we find that nothing has uh, been redone in the basement since the fire. We also get a jump scare from Price as he suddenly appears. Jennifer then asks about a sealed up door in front of them, but no one knows what's actually behind it. We then zoom into the door wall. It's actually, it's like a hole in the wall that's been sealed. Um, and we see there's blood and some kind of like nasty black stuff sticking out of it that's moving. So the three continue to explore the basement and come upon the creepiest part of the basement, in my opinion. The electroshock therapy rooms. Apparently, Dr. Vanicut used to zap his patients um, 18 at a time. 
They then come upon the saturation chamber, where uh, which was Dr. Vanicut's treatment for schizophrenia. Apparently, it was bombarded. Uh, it bombarded the patients with images and videos that made them sane. Now the group gets separated. Jennifer and Eddie are separated from Price and Prickett. Uh, Jennifer and Eddie are now off on their own when Jennifer spots a bunch of wires. She then sticks her hand into the opening of the wires and somehow is able to revive all the electricity in the basement. Uh, We then get a moment between Eddie and Jennifer, which is kind of cute, whatever. Um, If they both survive, of course, it would be cute, but I I don't know. Um, Eddie then caught on to the fact that Jennifer is lying. So I bet that she was some kind of like criminal because she knew how to rewire all the wires. But then again, that's just me being judgy. So let me stop. Jennifer then changes the subject and walks off still talking. But Eddie is drawn to this uh, saturation room with some eerie whispering. Jennifer continues talking about her identity without realizing Eddie is not behind her anymore. She says her name is actually Sarah and she was Jennifer's assistant. Um, who was the one who was originally invited to the party. Sarah now realizes she's totally alone and starts to hear groaning. She then starting to get scared and sees someone or something walk in the background behind her. She then rushes after whatever this is, and um, it's actually Eddie. Um, she runs after him and we see him standing at the end of the hallway, kind of just staring at her. He then turns and she follows him. He turns to look at her and we see his eyes are glowing. Um, so obviously he's possessed and he turns the corner into a room as Sarah continues to get more pissed and scared. Um, she's now in some kind of operating room. So while all this is happening, we hear like weird scratches, whispering and water dripping. We then see Eddie behind some fenced in portion of the room and he's like in fast forward mode. It reminds me of the things that are in Hellraiser and also Jacob's Ladder. Um, we then see Eddie is now standing on the edge of some huge steel pipe with black liquid inside. We then uh, see him look at Sarah with his weird glowing eyes before falling into the the tube. Um, so I assume it's supposed to be blood because of the color and the way that it's bubbling and splashing. Uh, Sarah then runs to the top of the pipe and tries to pull Eddie out. And while she's struggling to help him, we hear, what the hell are you doing? And it's actually coming from Eddie, who is now standing in the doorway. Um, The bloody mask then lets go of Sarah, and then the scene cuts. So now we are back with the group, and Sarah is obviously totally freaked out. Evelyn continues to blame her husband for the antics. We then uh, find out that Price and Prickett... There is no master control from the house. Uh, Prickett then tells them that what they saw is nothing compared to what they will see. So now we see that Melissa has wandered off into the basement below uh, by herself with her camera. We then start hearing ghost voices echoing as she goes deeper into the basement. There's also a gust of wind as she continues filming and walking. So I think this really cool effect of her looking into her camera and seeing Dr. Vanica operating on a patient and the two nurses. But like when she puts the camera down, there's nothing. So then she brings the camera back up again. And then we see the three are looking down at the operating table. And then we see them all like slowly lift their heads up and look at her, which I really enjoyed that part of the movie. Um, 
She then turns and we hear this weird sound. And I guess I would describe it. It kind of sounded like fluttering bird's wings and like a low moan. Um, It's coming from something down the hallway. So it then runs towards her and we get flashes of like weird creatures and blood and like naked women. But like they're in, they're like being like hung from the ceiling. Um, and like, it's super like close ups on, on, um, some of the things that we kind of saw in the beginning, um, Melissa then screams and it echoes back to the group. Uh, we then get a funny scene between Evelyn and Prickett. He makes a comment about wanting to get laid before he dies and he tries to hit on her and she looks at him like, really? Um, so also note that every time we see Evelyn, she's always drinking, which is really funny. Like the first couple scenes, she had like a martini and then in these scenes, she's just drinking. It looks like she's just drinking vodka right from like a rocks glass. Um, So Sarah, Eddie, Doc, and Price go running into the basement, and we find a big old pile of blood and Melissa's video camera, but no Melissa. Uh, They then follow the trail of blood onto the ceiling, and Eddie goes, she couldn't have disappeared into thin air. And Sarah goes, no, into the house. Um, Eddie then gets pissed and starts asking Prickett how to get out of the house, but to no avail. Eddie then hits the rocks glass out of his hand and Sarah tells them all to basically shut the fuck up so she can see what's going on on Melissa's tape. Um, she's able to do a playback, but all we see is Melissa screaming and her bloody hand. So it's kind of like the only camera, the, the only part we see is just like her bloody hand being like dragged away. Um... Evelyn is insisting that her hubby is behind all of this, and he keeps insisting that he's not. Um, She then decides it's a good idea if she points her gun at him, and then she shoots him, and she almost um, blows his head off. Um, She then uh, blows on the end of her gun and tells the group, your mistress is going to retire for what's left of the night. So, yeah, even though she's very pretentious and snobby and snooty, she's badass. I, I, I do I do enjoy her character a lot. Um, they all then look at uh, Price again, and he, he said he loaded the guns with blanks, so obviously we can assume maybe the house changed them into real bullets. Um, the next scene, we see Price is going into the control room, and he spins um, his accomplice around, and we see that his whole face has basically been, like, scooped out. um so it seems that obviously he's dead um he then looks into the tv monitors where they have all like their cameras and their mic set up and we see that dr vanica is walking into frame looks up at the camera his head kind of like spins around really fast and then um it zooms into the camera and it shows that he got a big-ass knife that's covered in blood. Um, so now we get some kind of, like, a montage scene of all the characters trying to escape. Um, so we have, like, Eddie and Sarah trying to, to, to look for a way out. We have um, Prickett is looking for booze. Um, and we also have um, they're trying to look for Melissa still. And they're also looking for now Price is looking for Dr. Vanicut. So we also see that Donald, who is Blackburn, the the doctor, is in the basement looking for Melissa. And we get a crazy amount of lights flickering throughout the whole house. 
So Price is now in the basement as well as Blackburn, Sarah, Eddie, and Prickett. Sarah then asks what's happening, and Prickett says electroshock. So it's kind of like it's like the electricity keeps surging on and off, and we hear like electrocution. So they all run to the noise and see that Evelyn is hooked up to the machine and is being shocked. They finally find the switch to turn off, but it's too late. So RIP to my queen, Evelyn. Um, so we, uh, see that Price is actually pretty distraught. Um, he did love his wife in some kind of weird way. Um, so it is, it's, it's a little sad. Uh, Prickett then says that it's the house, but Price isn't buying it. He thinks one of them did it. Price then asks them, um, when they were all going to tell him about the strange guy with the mustache, the lab coat running all around the house. Prickett then realizes it's Vanicut. Uh, Price doesn't buy it and pulls out the gun to ask who he is. Uh, Price uh, thinks they're all in on it and basically kills his wife. Um, Sarah then draws her gun on Price, but before they can shoot each other, Eddie comes from the side and basically disarms him and knocks him out. Donald, sorry, I wrote Donald, but it's, they call him Blackburn. Blackburn then asks, well, what are we going to do with him? Um, which cuts to the next scene of them sealing him inside the saturation room. Um, we then see there's like a small window so we can see Price if he's looking into the window, like looking out from the window. Um, so then Blackburn says um, he's going to stay and he's going to keep an eye on Price. Um, so then we see that everybody leaves, so it's just Blackburn and Price. Um, he starts messing with the gears and levels, and we see the saturation room basically comes alive. Um, so inside, it's kind of like a real-life big, huge flipbook. Um, so, like, the faster the room spins, the more the animated the characters get. Um, the figure in this case is actually... Uh, Dr. Vanica bouncing a red ball. So if the room was not spinning, it would just be like a drawing of Dr. Vanica with bouncing the red ball. But because it's like spinning really fast with like these openings, like a flip book, it looks like he's bouncing the ball. Um, so Blackburn then turns it on high and leaves Price on his own. So I thought this part was kind of weird because there was no animosity other than the fact that everyone was kind of mad at Price for getting them into the situation. But Blackburn seemed that he was like real pissed off about something. And I was like, hmm. Um, so he's messing with the gears. Um, he then turns it on high and leaves him on his own. So now we're back with Eddie and Sarah who are trying to get back upstairs. They get lost. Um, Prigget is nowhere to be found, so I assume that maybe he's upstairs or he's lost. Um, and then they stumble upon uh, Vanicott's office. Um, so back with Price, and he's inside the saturation room. He's getting dizzy from the spinning room and the lights. So he reaches up to steady himself, and we see there's, like, bars... Um, to hold on to, like handles, um, with a sign above them that says, in case of severe psychotic disturbance, apply hypercoma filters, which are basically goggles. Um, so he puts them on as the room continues to spin, and we zoom into Dr. Vanicut's face. Uh, so now we get a black and white scene of Price laying on a gurney in some kind of head entrapment thing with like a metal metal thing over his face or over his mouth. And it's like it's like there's like an etched in like smiley face over it. 
Um, we then see he's being wheeled in some kind of very disturbing parts of the house. And this is probably one of the most disturbing parts of the whole movie, for me at least. So I want to say this is where, like, the true, what the true evil looks like um, that lives in the house um, when the patients are having a psychotic breakdown, I guess. Um, so we have the nurse who has smeared red lipstick. We also have Dr. Vanicut standing right behind her with some kind of latex over his head. And then his head starts like spinning out of control crazy. Um, we also have a bunch of the mental patients surrounding them as well that are all kind of disformed. And there's like a head in the glass. There's also like once again there's the, um, the, the naked women in like hanging from the ceiling. And they all have like blood dripping from their mouths. Um... So we then see them push Price into the sitting position on the gurney and they wrap white latex around his head. Then they wrap wires around his head and they seal him into some underground water tank. So as he's like swimming through this water tank, he's surrounded by naked bodies of the female patients who are spitting out blood. Um, we then go back to him inside the saturation chamber. So obviously he's just like tripping out over everything that he's seeing right now. Um, we see Dr. Vanica is bouncing the red ball, and then he passes it to someone. We see that he actually passes it to Evelyn, and she is now bouncing Price's severed head. Um, we then pen out and see Price is kind of in the corner of the chamber in the fetal position. So it's like the saturation room is actually making him, like, super bug out a lot. Um so now we're back to Eddie and Sarah in Dr. Vanicut's office. Eddie grabs a picture off the wall, then says, oh, this is the class of 1931, and it's like the doctors and all of his associates. Um, Sarah, looking at it, figures out how the guest list was actually made. So everyone was invited is related to one of the staff that was there when the place burned down. So as I mentioned earlier, five people were able to escape. Um, we then get a little jump scare with Pritchett, who is now in the office with them. Um, he then says how Price didn't make the list, the house did. Uh, Eddie then asks how the house um, did it, to which Prickett says, the house has a lot of energy and it travels through sounds, lights, and electricity. Um, and then Sarah says, like, oh, well, does he, you know, f through phone lines, and phone lines obviously back then were connected, um, which gave us internet. Um, so they basically, they tell him he's crazy, but Prickett continues to explain the house is pissed. It has no morals cause it's a fucking house. Um, Eddie then realizes that Blackburn's name isn't on there. We then cut to the next scene of the electroshock therapy room where Evelyn's dead body is still. And we see Blackburn is walking inside of the, of the room going towards Evelyn so he then is wiping the blood off her dead mouth before leaning down and kissing her. Then we get a little necrophilia moment um, before we see Blackburn take a syringe with something in it and actually shoot it into her dead leg. And suddenly she's awake. <laughs> um, so it was actually all a scam. The two are in a relationship, which makes sense. That's why Blackburn's name is not on the list of associates. Um, so that was interesting. So... They used uh, atherpane, which is an involuntary nervous system blocker. So basically, it made her look like she was dead. Um, she then asks about Price and Blackburn. 
Um, or she then asks about price and Blackburn tells her that he's pretty much almost, almost dead inside the saturation chamber. Um, they then start discussing their plan on how to convince the police they're innocent and who to pin it on. Uh, Evelyn then asks if they ever found Melissa and he says, no, Evelyn then starts freaking out because, um, Price is basically not convinced that, or she wants the others, the others to be convinced that Price is actually the killer. Um, so she suggests they need another body with Price next to it. Um, so then she grabs a scalpel and starts stabbing Blackburn in the stomach. So basically, she wants to kill her husband so bad, or have somebody else kill her husband so bad, so she can take all of his money that she's willing to kill this guy that she's in a relationship with. <laughs> I'm sure he was just a pawn, but anyway. Um, so now we're back with Eddie, Sarah, and Prickett. Eddie has found some kind of long pipe, which um, I assume they would want to use as self-defense. Uh, Sarah then asks Prickett if he's coming or if he's waiting for Blackburn. Um, to which he responds, Blackburn's dead, and he or he would have been back by now. We then see Evelyn unlock the saturation chamber, and Price then falls out. Uh, we are now back with the three in the basement, because Prickett decided to go along with them anyway. Um, and see, there's a shit ton of blood, and they assume that it's Blackburn. So far, we only got, like, one person die from our house, unless Price is dead, which would make it two. But I don't think he's dead. Um, so they go check on Price, and they see that Blackburn's face is in that little glass window, as I had mentioned earlier. Sarah then pulls open the door, and we see Blackburn's headless body falls out. Um, they obviously think it's Price now, even though Evelyn is the culprit at this point. So Evelyn is super fucked up and dark. Like, she took this guy that she's been banging, put him on a... Um, hospital bed, cut off his head, then put his head into the window of the, or put his body into the saturation room and then propped his head up so it looked like he was alive. <laughs> She's fucking nuts, but also love her. So now Sarah's running around alone and she starts to hear what sounds like Melissa calling for help. At, uh, so as she nears closer to the sound, ooh, sorry guys, ooh, um, Price pops up instead, and he is covered in blood. Um, he then tries to explain to her that he woke up on the floor. He's got no idea what's going on. He's trying to convince Sarah that he had nothing to do with it. Um, but instead of uh, instead of listening to him, she just um, unloads the entire gun on his ass. Um, so hearing the gunshots, Eddie and Prickett come running, and they take Sarah upstairs. So we now see Evelyn uh, once again slink back to Price's dead body. She then gives a sentimental speech about how much she loved his money. <laughs> and we see that Price is actually not dead. Um, and he's wearing a bulletproof vest. And he starts choking the shit out of his wife. <laughs> um, so while Price is choking her, he tells his wife that every exchange her and Blackburn had was bugs. So Price knew what was happening the whole time. Um, he then throws her into the wall that Sarah first asked about earlier in the movie. That was all sealed up and had like blood coming from it. Um, so now we have Evelyn on the ground and Inside this musty, dusty part of the basement. We then see this weird black thing in the wall coming for her. Pryson tells her to get up, but she is pulled back into whatever I assume is the evil of the house taking on its true form. It looks like those black, it looks like uh, black tentacle things um, while Price slowly like backs away. Um, and then uh, Evelyn's face kind of just like melts off. 
So now Price, who is thoroughly freaked out, backs away from the scene, hits a door, um, a closet door that swings open to reveal poor Melissa's body and just in pieces on various different hooks. It looks like a presentation of body parts. Um, Price continues hearing the ghastly whisper or ghastly, the ghostly whispers and laughing as he turns to see the black mass is now coming out of the hole he made with Evelyn's body. So we see the black mass looks like some kind of weird ink splot thing. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, they always, whenever they would show them in like cartoons, like somebody looking at a therapist or somebody talking to a therapist, their therapist would like hold up a piece of paper with like an ink ink blot on it or an ink splot, whatever those things are called, and you'd be like, "What does this look like to you?" Um, so that's kind of what this thing looks like right now, um, and. It's actually Evelyn's face, isn't it? Explaining how everyone who is responsible for all the shit that went down is here, and now it's Price's turn to die. Um, so then we cut to the other three. So we're now we're with Eddie, Sarah, and Brigitte, who almost have one of the metal doors open, which is what the pipe was used for, which I mentioned earlier. We then cut back to Price, who is running up the stairs. So it's just cutting back and forth to the group, to the group, um, and then to Price, who is locked in the basement. So it's like a bunch of scenes, like going back and forth, back and forth. Prickett then opens the door and is grabbed by the evil black mass, and the door slams. So R.I.P. to him now. So Price is now remaining, running to the remaining two who are super freaked out. Um, he yells at them to run as we see the evil black entity bust through the door. Then he comes up with the idea that the pulleys are actually in the attic and tells them, we have to get to the attic. Um, we see that in one hallway, <laughs> so we see that down one hallway, there's an evil, there's the evil black entity and the other hallway, there's like teeth coming out of the wall. So obviously like the house is, the house is ready. Uh, we then see the floor starts exploding as they run towards the attic with price. Or after Price. So now we see Price um, is in the attic and he's fucking around with some levers and he hits one with a pipe and calls for the others to hurry. And this is a really funny line in this part. He goes, so much for a PhD in engineering because he can't even like figure out how to like work the gears. <laughs> so Sarah is able to escape. Um, or I'm sorry. Uh, so now they're running up the stairs, but then like the black entity is behind them and like Melissa's face comes out of it. And she's like, she's like calling for Sarah and she's like, you're going to miss the show. <laughs> it's so cheesy. Um, so now everyone is in the attic and Eddie spots sunlight coming from an opening. We then see the evil entity is making its way to the attic too. Um, and it's messing with the pulleys. Like he's there. It's like fucking with the rope. It's like burning the rope to shut the opening price being the newfound hero. He is pushes Sarah out of harm's way and then ultimately falls into the black entity dying. So Sarah is able to escape. Um, but the ink spot entity cuts the rope and the opening slam shut trapping poor Eddie inside and Sarah on the outside. Um, so then we see the dead people are like coming through their faces are like coming through the black mass, making like cheesy lines, like, like Blackburn's like the doctor is in and, and then Dr. Vanicut even says like, ah, we must find what's wrong with you. <laughs> uh, I love doing my old timey voice guys. Um, so, we then hear Eddie say, he's like, I don't even want to be a part of this. I was adopted. It was, it was really funny. Um, so <laughs> then we see, um, but before 
it gets to him, we see Prickett's ghostly shape start pulling on the rope to help Eddie escape, and then Sarah pulls him outside with her before the entity gobbles him up. Um, so then we hear the black ink spot entity scream and disappear. Uh, so now we are with Sarah and Eddie on the outside as the sun is rising, and Sarah spots an envelope that's like kind of stuck into the floor, uh, or I'm stuck into the door that had just opened. Um, we then uh, see that it says, for those who survive the night, inside are the $5 million checks. Um, so it also looks like the camera pans out. It looks like they're on like a cliff, <laughs> like they're on the one part of the house that um, is looking down into the ocean. So Sarah goes, um, how are we going to get down? And then the credits roll. And, of course, we hear Marilyn Manson's iconic song again play as the credits roll. And um, I actually scrolled all the way to the end of the video because I watched this. I rented this movie on YouTube. And I was able to see that there actually is another scene. And it's... Uh, it looked like it was, it like started painting in closer. We see that um, Price is actually dressed up as Dr. Vanica and uh, Evelyn is one of the nurses and they're like surrounded by patients. Um, so we can assume that this is some kind of like hell or like purgatory and they're basically casted as Dr. Price, or I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Vanica and one of his nurses. So. Um, yeah, I actually missed that. I think I missed that the first time. I, it's been so long since I've seen uh, that movie before uh, today. So my overall and honest opinion of this movie, uh, I loved it. For some reason, I remember it being a little bit better than it was. But um, I think the reason I thought that is because I was much younger. Uh, this movie, I watched this movie probably like 15 or 16 years ago for the first time. Um, but I think, I think why I enjoyed this movie so much and the reason that I think it's great is because if you guys listen to my other podcasts, you know that I am a huge, huge fan of like insane asylums and abandoned things like that. And people like going inside and, and, you know, seeing what's going on things like that. I think that's, um, why these kinds of movies, um, are really interesting to me and why they're my favorite. I'm also eerily obsessed with like the experiments that were done um, on patients and things like like lobotomies and electroshock therapy and things like that. Um, of course, it was a horrific time, and I I can't imagine that you know this is actually real, but. Because it's so horrific, obviously, a horror movies, multiple horror movies have been made about that. Um, you know, we also have like um, Session 9 is another good one, too, that um, kind of goes into that. But obviously, this is more about the house itself. Um, so obviously, the house is a character in this movie as well. Um I think I just hold this movie so close to my heart because not only do I love the plot line, I love the cast. Um, I love the interaction between Price and Evelyn. Um, I obviously love uh, Sarah because she's in all my favorite horror movies <laughs> and all my favorite rom coms too. Let's not get this. Uh, let's not get this twisted. So I, overall, I, I do love this movie. Um, I also really liked how. They paid attention to a lot of the different details. So anytime there was a scene in the basement, I always felt like there was um, 
some noises like there was always a continuing like weird like overlapping voices or like a ghostly laugh or like weird like um like the wings fluttering as i said before like there were always noises there was always something going on in every single scene and it was always the same kind of noises which i really thought made it all kind of flow a lot better and made it way creepier um the only thing I have to say that I feel like would add, would have added more to this movie would be going to different parts of the asylum, maybe going into the patient's room a little bit more. Like the the whole movie was really focused on the basement. Um and kind of like what was in the basement. It seemed like all the activity was in the basement, but which is obviously very scary. But we only really got like the entrance of the home or of the house. We got the attic and we got the basement. We did get a couple hallways here and there, but they didn't actually go into any of the rooms, which I had to assume are the patients' rooms. So I thought that would have been a little bit cooler to see. But then again, like this movie was made in 1999, you know, it was one of a kind. I mean, not really one of a kind because it was a remake. <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? In the beginning of stages of this kind of horror, um, they didn't really go too deep into it. I, I would have I would have liked it more if we had seen and maybe even more like more kills. Um, maybe not. It was very it was very heavy into the storyline or very heavy heavily into the character storyline. Not so much of the house. Um, I would have wanted more. Like what else did Doctor Vanicut do? Like who else? What other kinds of experiments did he do besides the sanitation or the saturation room? Um, you know, besides the electroshock therapy, like what else did he do? I just feel like this movie had a lot of potential to do a lot of different things, but then at the same time, like this movie was made in 1999. So it was, it was for the, for the time that it was made, it was great. It was awesome. There are some very freaky parts of this movie, especially when you kind of delve into the saturation room, um, portion of the movie, um, especially all the different imagery that you get, um, uh, Things like that. Obviously, the cinematography of the movie is great as well. Um, it's a very dark movie. Um, I, I did enjoy all of that, but I just, I guess, I wanted more of the house itself. I just feel like in a lot of different horror movies that you have to do with houses or have to do with like abandoned places, the, the characters really explore a lot of it. And I feel like they always were kind of in the same area of the asylum, which was in the basement and then like in those few couple rooms. So I really feel like that could have been done a little bit better. Um, the one-liners and things between Evelyn and Price were awesome. Loved it so much. Um, like I said, I would, th I would feel like if they had a reality TV show, I would watch it. <laughs> um, so yeah, as I said, as I said during during the the description or during the the, the summary of it, um, I really feel like Evelyn obviously loves money. She doesn't give a fuck about anything else. Uh, she doesn't give a fuck about her family, her friends, nothing. The only thing she cares about is money and um, maybe getting laid every once in a while by a man that's not Price. <laughs> um, and then Price is obviously, I can assume that he's gay. He might not be, I don't know. Um, but if he is, that's fine. Live your life. But obviously he wanted to use her, you know, this beautiful woman as a cover and Evelyn just never let him live it down. And it seemed like the reason why they wouldn't get divorced is because, um, 
there was a prenup in place when they got married. And I assume the prenup basically wasn't going to give Evelyn any money, which is why she stayed to married to him because as she, when she thought he was dead, she like made a comment. She was like, well, you know, all you have to do is get a divorce and rip up the prenup into teeny tiny little pieces. And that's when he wakes up and like starts pushing, you know, choking the shit out of her. Um, so, but their, their little interactions were great. Like I said, if it was, a, if it was just Evelyn and Price throughout the whole movie, it would have been so awesome. And it's just so funny though, the, the, the length that, so if you really think about it, this is all Evelyn's fault because she wanted, um, her birthday party at the house on Haunted Hill, um, so that she could trick somebody into killing her husband. Um, and then Price kind of knew all of this the whole time and was just like, well, this is what we're going to do instead. He's, he kind of made his own list and all that stuff. And he used everything to his advantage. And even though he knew the whole time that, um, that his wife was trying to kill him with this huge elaborate plan. Um, so I think that's it. I know there is a sequel to this movie. I don't know if I've ever seen it. I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have. I'll have to revisit it again. Um, and give you guys my thoughts on it. So I think that's going to be it for this episode of Horror Nights and Podcast. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. Did you like this movie? Did you hate this movie? What's your honest and horrific opinion on The House and Haunted Hill? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Horror Nights and Podcast with me, your host, Crystal. Please remember to follow me on my podcast and subscribe on whatever app you use. And if you could also head over to iTunes and... Um, if you could also head over to iTunes and sorry guys, I was reading a text message. I am all over the place. Um, and give my podcast a rating. That'd be great. So I don't know what that voice was. Let me see before I sign off. If I have any new, um, if I have any new comments and it doesn't look like it. Um, so yes, guys, if you um, have not, please head over to iTunes and please rate my podcast and leave me a little comment because I will read it here. And if you guys uh, want to chit chat, just go over to Twitter at HorrorDaddiesRS and we can chat there or on my Instagram at Horror Nights and Podcast. Um, all right, guys, that's going to be it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You guys have a great weekend. Happy Easter or happy Sunday. So bye, guys. <laughs>